Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. As Sharon mentioned, we're, we're doing Back to Basics this month, and last week we talked about the thing itself, and in Ernest Holmes' terms, the thing being God, being spirit. This week we're going to talk about the way it works, and as you can imagine, the it is back to God again. So last week, God is everything there is, God is all-powerful. We talked about the scope of God being everywhere, all-wise, all-powerful. We talked truly about God being present everywhere. And if you'll remember, last week your homework, in fact, was to go about the week in every encounter, in every way, saying, yes, here too is God. Whether the situation was a good one, whether the situation had some challenges, our homework last week was to say, nonetheless, this too is God. Today we're going to talk about how God works and I think maybe a good place to start would be work in general. And you know me, I've got a joke about it. This one's titled Overworked. So for a couple of years I've been way too tired all the time. I've been blaming it on a lack of sleep and pressure from my job, but now I've found out mathematically the real reason. So the population of this country is 237 million, but 104 million are retired. So that leaves 133 million to get all the work done. But there are 85 million people that are either too young or still in school, which leaves only 48 million to do the work. But there are 29 million people employed by the federal government, 2.8 million people in the armed services, and 14 million people who work for state and local government. So that only leaves 1.4 million people to do all the work that happens in the private sector. And at any given time, there are 188,000 people in hospitals or taking sick days. So that only leaves 1.2 million people to do all of the work in the private sector. Now, lastly, the Department of Corrections reports that there are 1,211,900 people in prisons. So that, my friends, if you've done the math, means you and I are really tired. (laughs) But you know what? That's actually the way it works. If we're going to talk about God in the world and how God gets God's work done, it's through us. We're God's instrument in the world. We are that part of God. Last week we talked about God being everywhere, right? And guess where else that means? It's not just the outward story. It's the inward story too. So when we talk about God getting, especially in the human world, especially in the the world of human affairs, how does God get that job done? Through humanity, through us. We are, if you will, the very instruments of God ourselves. Our heart, our hands, our abilities, that which we do, that's which we show up. Every day, we are, whether you want to think of it as as a a co-creator or an ambassador, kind of doesn't matter, but however you look at it, the work that we do every week is the divine. Now, sometimes it may not feel like that. Sometimes it might feel like the work that we're getting done um, is a little bit of a human agenda and and less than that which is uh, on high. But I would ask you, maybe that's then just the challenge for us. How can we make what we do more divine? 
Uh, those of you who were here last week know that I've been uh, enjoying uh, sharing some of the sermons uh, from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it's my, my pleasure as we celebrate his birth month uh, to share some of his sermons. We're familiar with a lot of the political speeches. We're familiar with, uh, with him as a statesperson, not so much as a minister. And so I've, uh, I got out some of his actual sermons. And I want to share this one because I think it does a great job of illustrating how we and God are working together. This one was delivered on July 24th. 1955 at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Dr. King said, Above all, we must be reminded anew that God is at work always in the universe. He's not outside the world looking on with a sort of cold indifference. He is here on all the roads of life, striving even as we strive. Like an ever-loving father, he is working through history for complete salvation. So, as we struggle to defeat the forces of trouble in our own lives, we do not struggle alone. We have cosmic companionship. The God of the universe is always with us. But why is God so slow in conquering the the forces of trouble? Why did God permit Hitler to kill six million Jews? Why did God permit slavery to continue in America for 244 years? Why does God not break in and smash the schemes of wicked people? Well, I do not pretend to understand all the ways of God. But it is clear that we are responsible human beings. We're not blind automatons. We are persons, not puppets. And by endowing us with complete freedom, we do God's will through every choice we make. Boy, you don't have to be a Southern Baptist to feel that one. Through each of the choices we make, through the thoughts that we have, through the power of our own thinking, through our own ability to sense what is right and what is not right for us, for our families, for the planet, we always are doing God's work. So how are we doing? (laughs) No, honestly, how are we doing? You know, when I think about how God is work, there's the individual, but it kind of rolls up, doesn't it, into a, a sort of a universal, how are we doing? How is humankind doing? Do we have a sense that things are getting better? Do we have a, a belief that the world is getting to be a, a safer, a, a better, a more loving place? You know what? I actually have some really good news for you. Much in the same way, jokingly, that I was mathematically uh, talking about how much work needed to be done on the planet, there was a recent article uh, that was stunning to me. And I, 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 uh, it's from a, a professor at uh, a Harvard, Harvard Business College. And, uh, and this, I think in a very fundamental way, says something about how we're doing as a species on the planet. Here's what Steven Pinker says. On the day this article appears, you will read about a shocking act of violence. Somewhere in the world, there will be a terrorist bombing, a senseless murder. Somewhere in the world, there will be a bloody insurrection. It is impossible to learn about these catastrophes without thinking, what are we coming to? But a better question may be, where are we coming from? 
Because believe it or not, the world of the past was so very much worse. Violence has been in decline for thousands of years on the planet. And today we may be living in the most peaceable era in the existence of the human species. Now the decline, to be sure, has not been smooth. It has not brought violence down to zero, and it's not guaranteed to continue. But it is a persistent, measurable, historical fact. It's visible on scales from millennia to years, from the wages of war to the spanking of children. And I know this claim invites skepticism. We tend to estimate, when I like really listen here, I mean, I know you're listening anyway, but <laughs> this, this, this next bit kind of stunned me because it explains it. We tend to estimate the probability of an event from the ease with which we can recall examples. So the scenes of carnage are more likely to be beamed into our homes, printed in our newspapers, and burned into our memories than the footage of people simply dying of old age. Mm -hmm. There will always be enough violent deaths to fill the evening newspaper. So its impressions will be disconnected from the actual likelihood of it happening. And he goes on in great detail. Actually, I, I only got the first couple pages of the article here. But he goes on really measuring, literally, throughout history, how we started as, as very tribal and very violent. And our whole purpose was to secure resources against other people. And really, through the ages, the blossoming of cooperation, the, the blossoming of people working together in ways to bring about the securing of resources has been phenomenal. We are actually doing a good job. We are being God in actually quite a reasonable way in that particular instinct. And I, and I thought to myself, well, all right, so this was a nice guy from Harvard that figured this out. Like, is it sort of real in a human, like a Larry way? And so I did a little research on my own. And sure enough, the Oregonian keeps statistics on violence right here in the Portland, Oregon area. And, and has for years since the Oregonian's been around. Well, well, I shouldn't say that. Actually, only since the 1950s have crime statistics been gathered in any meaningful way. So we can look back to the 50s. And you know what? Violent crimes, the incidence of violent crimes is actually as low now as it was in 1955. Now, it went up greatly in the 60s, spiked a little in the late 70s, was still high in the 80s. And since the end of the 80s, every year has been a significant decline in the rate of violent crimes right here in the Portland area. It is now at the point of the 1950s. And you know what? In the 1950s, they weren't even counting them very well. In the 1950s, rapes were seldom reported. In the 1950s, the rare mugging and things like that, people were often too embarrassed to call the police. So the 1950s were probably more violent, actually, than we think they are, because people did not report things, and the police were not very good at recording things at that time. They were likely to go to a domestic violence dispute where real violence had occurred and just say, oh, well, this is a couple thing. This is just for them to work out. Didn't even file a report. Today, such things are cataloged and analyzed very carefully. 
Does it feel like we're living in a violent society, though? See, that's back to the article again. When in every newspaper and every TV uh, article with news and things like that, when we keep getting these constant reminders of possibly what could happen. You know, here's another vision of a bomb going off, or here is another idea of something, something really horrible happening somewhere in the world, or even locally, don't we tend to think that that means things aren't as safe? However, it doesn't make it true. So I can remember, well, actually, uh, Sharon, I'll have you know, I can't remember the 50s, <laughs> though I was born in them, but I can remember the 60s, and I remember, she's, you're back, so I get, to, I get to use you, dear. I'm glad you're back, by the way. <laughs> but I can remember the 60s, and I remember the first vacation that I was kind of aware we were going on a vacation, and do you know what the topic was as we were getting ready to leave, whether we should lock the front door or not? I had lived my entire life without ever locking our front door. Why would we lock our front door? It was perfectly safe here. And so the topic was, well, first of all, we had to find a key, <laughs> right? <laughs> We'd never locked the front, but we were gone. We were going to be gone to uh, drive down through California for two weeks. And we thought, well, for two weeks. But you know what my mom's parting comment was as we're getting in the car and we found the key and everything was locked up? She said, I sure hope someone doesn't break down and needs to use our phone while we're gone. There was no worry of people breaking in. The crime is now less, right here in Portland, than it was all those years ago. Now, I'm not suggesting that we leave our doors unlocked. I'm not suggesting that we don't do the things that are necessary to keep ourselves and our families and our loved ones and our possessions secure and safe and things like that. But what I am suggesting, oh, my friends, it's time to relax. It's time to breathe easy knowing that there aren't people out there wanting to do violence to us. It's time to, to breathe easier and recognize that for the most part, for the most part and for the longest time, we're safe in our own homes. We do need to follow the things that keep us safe, absolutely. I'm certainly still locking my front door, regardless of whether it's as, as safe as it was in the 50s, but... But that feeling that we get from watching the TV and, and reading the newspapers of things not being quite right, it's only an illusion. We, for the most part, are incredibly safe right now, and I would like to thank you for it. Why is the world safer now? Because you are more and more taking ownership of the world and the thoughts and the beliefs around you. And each of us congratulate ourselves on bringing those statistics down. Each of us recognizes that violence has no place in our lives. And the more and more people that understand violence does not have a place in the lives of ourselves and in our loved ones, then the more true that becomes. And as you know, the truth is like a magnet. The truth is like ringing a bell. You can't unring it. You can't turn it off. Suddenly, the planet recognizes that 
nonviolent communication is important. And suddenly the whole planet, for the most part, I mean, not everywhere, but for the most part, we humans recognize that diplomacy is more important than war. That getting along and figuring things out is a kinder and a gentler and a preferable way of doing things than just wading in with the guns blaring. We're coming into our own. We are increasingly at work in the world on the behalf of God in a good way. And we deserve some credit here. So last week, as you'll remember, our homework was to go out into the world and notice God everywhere. When you were in the Safeway line, even when the line was extra long, God was at work. When you were having a, maybe a confrontation with someone at work, that was God too. And likewise, we saw God in the good things. When something sweet really happened, we looked over and we said, there is God too. Today, I would like to extend that, clarify that, and distill that a bit. Your homework for this week is to recognize that this too is God. That not just the people you're encountering, not just the situations that you come across, but you, in fact, yourself, are the hands, are the auspices of, have the heart of, make the choices of a divinely inspired being. Here, too, is God. And so the homework I think is a simple one, I hope. It's, well, let's say it's straightforward. Maybe not simple. We'll see. We'll check in next week. But what I would like you to do this week is when you're about to make a decision, when you're about to, to maybe start up something new, when you're about to respond to someone that has maybe been in your face a little bit, I would like you to personalize this statement. I'm going to be saying, how would God as Larry handle this? And I invite you to replace, obviously, Larry with your own name. And so when someone's in your face at work, before you, like, launch in, <laughs> when someone is in your face at work, I want you to ask, how will God, as me, handle this? When you're faced with a trouble at home, maybe, or, or, or with a child or something, what would God, as Larry, do in this case? What would God as Larry want to do for himself and his, uh, his family? What would God as me do? How would God as myself handle this? That's my homework for this week. I want you really to understand that you are the hands and the heart. You have the thoughts of the creator itself in you. Sometimes we make choices that are not in our own best interest, I know. Sometimes we make mistakes. You know, in the old days we called them sins. Today, I think it's just a mistake. Nothing more complicated than a mistake. And when we make a mistake, we hopefully learn from that and we move on. So this week, if you see yourself doing something that doesn't look so godlike, it's okay. <laughs> Let yourself off the hook. Say to yourself, oh my gosh, that was interesting. <laughs> Don't really think that the voice of the divine probably could have said that so well. And that's okay. It was a point of learning. And next time it will be a little different. I'm going to close today the way Ernest Holmes closes the second chapter on, on how it works, the way it works. 
Here's what he says about this situation. He says, knowing that the thing that God can work for us only through us, let us begin today to accept more good than we experienced yesterday. Let us know that we shall reap a harvest of fulfilled desires. The time must come when we shall have left all apparent evil behind, when it shall be rolled up like a scroll and simply numbered with the things which were once only thought to be. Let us realize and work with this sound knowledge and with this perfect faith, as high as we shall make our mark in mind and in spirit, so high shall its outward manifestation be in this world of the divine. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love. There is but that one thing itself. You can call it God. It doesn't matter what it's called. It's fine with that thing itself. And I know it also means me. I know that that thing itself does its work through me. I accept this in my own life. And with each day, I become more conscious of it, that these hands, this heart, these choices that I make are done on the behalf of the divine. And as it is true for me, I know it is, it is true and it is capable for the people in this room that each person here makes their own choices. Each person here has their own thoughts and that there is perhaps a willingness to, to look into that a little further to check out whether those statements that are made, those, uh, th those feelings from the heart, those abilities to be and do in the world, just to check out a little more whether they feel like the divine at work and whether necessary maybe to make some changes. And so I'm glad for this. I'm grateful for knowing that God is at work. Grateful in knowing that we have the, the, this planet in ever better hands. Knowing that we're making progress on so many fronts. Grateful for life itself as it takes the form of the people in this room showing up every day as God. I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.